Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. Delighted you're here with us. This is part three in a series that Lynn and I are doing. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we've been talking about things that draw us to performance-based religion or draw us back. And we also talked about triggers from our experiences within performance-based religion. And so this is part three of a series. Today, we're going to talk about recognizing lies, examining those lies, determining if they are lies, and then (laughs) what to replace them with, how to move on from there. Here's what I see, Joel. I see a lot of people leaving Mormonism, not being willing to um, even consider that there might be a God. And yet, going to agnosticism and atheism and not realizing they're taking some of those lies with them. Uh, Yes, the very lies that the Mormon church used to draw them in and influence them and even manipulate them. They might still be in their heads. That's right. Exactly. Actually getting into the Bible really helped me sort those things. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we're going to base this on because very often what happens is the negative triggers, the experiences that take place that are often traumatic, that are hurtful, that can even be abusive, that often happen within performance-based religion, those create wounds. Those create deep hurts. And very often what we'll do with a wound if we're not aware, and especially if we don't have an organic connection to God through Jesus Christ, is we'll take that wound and we'll try to bandage it up and wrap it with a lie, something that either we're told or that we tell ourselves. And those can be have a very deep, profound effect because these deep wounds wrapped in lies become a narrative that now we start to use to define our life and to define our relationships. And they affect not only what we believe about ourselves, they affect what we believe about God and his relationship with us and other people. I just want to throw out again, just some examples of some of the core lies, some of these lies that um, we'll use that we believe about ourselves. And very often, and I've had um, former LDS people comment to me, these are lies. These are, this was the narrative I was handed as a Mormon with some of them. So last week, Lynn, you shared really candidly about some of your triggers. This week, I'm going to share kind of candidly about how Um, My fifth grade year was bookended by two events that created um, some lies within me that took me years to even realize they were there and sort through. So, but first, here are just some examples um, of these. And I should say for any of you listening to the podcast, um, any of these last three, a lot of what Lynn and I covered um, are in a sheet, um, in a podcast, in a handout that I just titled Help I Feel Drawn Back to the Mormon Religion. And if you want that, we can make it available to you. Um, We can email you the PDF. So just contact us through the podcast website and say, hey, I want the notes from the series and be happy to send those those off to you. So just 
make a note that that's available. Um, so here's some of the here's some of the lies. I am loved and valued because of what I do, or because of what I look like, or because of how smart I am. Another one is, if I please people, then I'll be accepted. And obviously the converse of that is if I don't manage to please people, I'll be rejected and I won't be accepted. Um, another one, and this one you're gonna find out came right into my, came to play into my life, which is only the winners matter. In other oh. words, if you don't succeed, if you don't win, you're really second rate or maybe lower. Um, Could be why the suicide rate is so high in Utah. Um, yeah, hugely impacting. Mm. Um, another one is sooner or later, everybody's going to abandon me anyway. So why bother even trying to have relationships because I'll just be left in the dust. Um, wow. another, another common lie that comes out of that is I'm, I'm just a poser. The real me could never be loved or respected or cared for. And so I have to maintain the mask. I have to maintain the pose, but deep down mm. you don't see the real me and I could never let the real me out. And then um, the last one, and there's more than these, but the last one I have on the list is I must self-protect or die. And whether that's emotionally or socially. And so all my life must be this constant self-protection where I'm always hedging my bets, never letting you in. Um, if I am caught in something, I'm going to defend myself and my rightness, even though it's obvious that I'm not. So um, those are all those are all examples of lies. And I could tell just by some of your body language or reaction that you've seen some of these within. So um, I'm going to like open it up to you to go ahead and comment on some of this. And then after you do that, I'm going to go ahead and give my illustration, but I want to hear your take on this first. I think the one that I personally relate to the most is I'm just a poser. I, I felt even as a professor at BYU that I had I had above and beyond other people done done all this research and done all these publications. I was running around the world, uh, you know, doing exactly what I was told to do. And yet I felt like I wasn't really good at what I was doing. I, I didn't uh, really know. I, I wasn't I wasn't an expert in anything. And yet I was running around. Right. And everybody was calling me an expert. Um, I felt like a complete imposter many times. Wow. And it, it wasn't just my job, but sometimes at home and, and just in my life as Mormon. And, and I think performance-based religion kind of feeds that. I, I never felt like I could be honest or authentic. I couldn't ever say what my weaknesses were or what I struggled with or what somebody in my family was struggling with. In Christianity, yeah. we talk about those things and then they don't have a hold on you. You just yes. lay them out there and it's <laughs> yep. done. Nobody grabs you by the back of the neck and tells you you're, you're going to hell, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, and that's huge, I think, for performance-based religion. The first one, now I don't know anybody in the world who doesn't buy into the first one. I'm loved and valued because of what I do. I mean, most men are their careers, right? Yeah. And a lot of women, too. Um, what I look like, oh my goodness, how many girls struggle with that or how smart I am. In my Mormon neighborhood where I lived in Alpine, Utah, 
the women were several years younger than their husbands because the husbands went on missions, came back, married the women right out of high school, typically. Then the women would work and put their husbands through college. So now you've got husbands with undergrad degrees and master degrees, and you've got a woman who's had a number of children, only has a high school degree, doesn't have any earning power. So you already have this um, kind of unequal thing going on. But what I saw among the women was they were just obsessed with their appearance, right? Because really the only value they had was to give their husband a lot of children (laughs) and to be attractive. And so lots of walking in my neighborhood and, you know, and making sure you have the right makeup and right hairdo and that kind of stuff. I was very glad to be done with that. But (laughs) but it's the way of the world, right, Joel? A lot of people um, buy into that. Right. And it's such a trap because there will always be somebody who looks better (laughs) or who's smarter and there'll always be publications and there'll always be people underneath you that you can look down on and say well okay i'm i'm at least not like that person you know whatever it is i'm at least smarter than that person or at least i'm prettier than that person or i've got a better job than that guy and so that comparison always Mm -hmm. keeps you trapped and like and like you said i think one of the biggest traps is you never have the freedom to be your authentic self. You never have the freedom to be all God created you to be and all he wants you to be as an image bearer. And then within Christianity, you're offered this total approval of God, regardless of who you are, how you look at what your status is, because your approval is based on the acceptance and the perfection that Jesus gives to you. Right. So yeah, um, it's huge. And, and this is kind of how it played out in my life. Um, some of these lies, so fifth grade year was kind of a pivotal year. I didn't really see it that way um, until, you know, looking back, processing some of this stuff. But in fifth grade, two things happened. Um, just before fifth grade, I got glasses. Um, fourth grade, I struggled. I, I was pretty smart, but I ended up, I kept moving like more and more forward in the class because I couldn't like read the slides or read what was on the board. And finally, it became really clear that I needed glasses. So in the summer, I got glasses and it was wonderful. I loved them. I could see the leaves on the trees. I could make out people, you know, in the swimming pool if I had them on. Um, but in fourth grade, at the end of fourth grade, I had a girlfriend. Her name was Jill. She was my little red-haired girl, Charlie Brown style. And, you know, it was a typical fourth grade. I like you, you like me, okay, it's fun. Well, a couple of days into fifth grade, the word starts coming back to me through some of my buddies that, well, Jill doesn't like you anymore because you got glasses. And I'm like, no, you know, how, you know, well, third or fourth day into fifth grade, me and my buddies, and it only went up to sixth grade in the school. So fifth grade, you were kind of already top. And so what we would do on recess to be cool is four or five of us, we just go down to the baseball diamond. And then the top bracket of the baseball time was kind of curved out. We'd climb up and we'd sit on the bar of the baseball diamond and we just kind of hang out there and talk. And that was kind of our perch spot that we could be. Well, we're there. And this recess, the morning recess, I look across the field and there comes Jill with two or three of her friends and they come marching down and they're like coming right at us. And she comes up with several of her friends and she looks up at me and she says, I just want to let you know that I don't like you anymore. And she turns around and she marches off. And my little fifth grade heart is just like broken. Now, of course, my buddies are, oh, she's just a girl, dumb girl. Don't worry about it. And I, you know, played around, yeah, of course, but I was crushed because I really liked her and I thought she really liked me and I'm a relational, emotional, emotive that, I mean, that's just, and that 
sent a message to me that said, how you look in your appearance may well affect whether or not people accept you and like you and care about you. Mm. And that started a whole, I mean, me like caring about how I dressed and I was like clothes and I still care about that sort of stuff. It's not what defines me, but I realized, and so there's a wound and the lie I wrapped around that is people are fickle and people will reject you just based on what you look like. So what you look like matters, who you are on the outside matters a lot. And you better pay attention to that. Okay. So got over it, had friends, um, all the way through fifth grade was a great year for me. And it came time, the very last event of fifth grade was field day. And it was like in the last couple, three days of school and field day was, there was a whole day of no classes. And so what you do is you've got sporting events. So you've got, you know, relays and it starts with the little kids and it works on up. And so the older you are, the later you're on the day and the bigger the events are. And this year I had been asked to be part of a four man relay. And I looked around at the other guys and, you know, all you got was ribbons, blue, you know, blue for first place, white for second, red for third. And I looked around and I said, we've got a shot at a ribbon. In fact, we've got a shot at the blue ribbon. And I'm like so geeked that geek, because these guys were my friends, but nobody I was super close to, but I'd been asked to be on part of the relay. So I'm like really excited about field day. And so our time comes and we set up and we start the relay and our first guy takes off. And by the time he's made it around and passed off, we're in first place. And our second guy is pretty fast and he maintains the lead. And I'm the third guy. And I think, okay, all I have to do is keep my position because the guy coming after me is super fast. And if I just maintain my position, we've got this. And so I take off, I run, I keep my position. And as we go to do the final handoff, we bobble the baton, it drops. And he tries to scramble and get it, but it's not soon enough. And we come in like fourth or fifth. We don't even get a ribbon. And oh my, the fury of my respect, because for whatever reason, I was the goat. It was my fault. I dropped it. I'd not done the handoff. I was kind of the odd man out of the four. And I was devastated because I caught the full fury because we had the blue ribbon in our hands and now we had nothing. Mm. Um, and, you know, you can guess which lie I picked up from that one. It was like, okay, only the winners matter. Um, if you're not on the winning team, if you if you let people down, they will pull their love and their care and their approval. Mm. And so you had better not ever let anybody down and you'd better not ever fail. And so, um, that's Man. true in performance-based religion. That's true. It's, that's You're how continually it... measuring yourself against the rules and other people against the rules. And so your focus is not Jesus. Your focus is this spiritual measuring stick or your physical measuring stick or your callings measuring stick or your whatever within the culture, how many children you have, whatever it is, but there's always a measuring stick and you're always at a certain place and other people are above you and other people are below you. And yeah. you totally take whether you're worth something or not from where you are on that measuring stick. Yeah. And so the other thing, and that's why I could really relate to your saying the whole I'm a poser, um, because that became almost a core theme of my life. I, I've constantly struggled with, no matter how good I was at something, if people really knew, if people really would find me out, they'd see the fraud that I am. I'm, wow. you know, I'm not. Um, so 
the, I mean, so these things fuel, and even though these bookended my fifth grade year, they really defined a lot of the way I did life and relationships all the way up through college and even some beyond. And fortunately, we had great Christian teaching. I got exposed to, you know, even this concept that there are these core lies. And if you want to, if you want to pursue this, there are two key questions you can ask. If you want to kind of like find out, I mean, some people, when you start running through this, they like immediately identify, but if you're Mm -hmm. not sure the two questions to ask to try to help identify your core lie, because until you identify it, you can't reject it. And you, you have to reject these core lies and replace them with truth. Otherwise you're even more of a mess than you are normally. You have um, to take Jesus into your past and face it yes, and figure and it this out. Is, and yeah. you bring him into these events. Mm. The first question is in order to be loved and accepted, I must always, and then fill in the blank. What is it you always have to do to be loved and accepted? And that is going to start identifying what you believe that's false, because really there's nothing you have to do to be loved and accepted. You are loved and accepted by Christ for who you are because of his sacrifice. And then the counterpart to that is in order to avoid rejection, I must always do what, or I must never do what, if I don't want to be rejected, I've got to make sure this never happens. And so Those two questions can kind of help you start to analyze, and especially if you're coming out of a performance-based religion, what things did my religion tell me about who I was that fit some of this, that's simply not true. So the answer, and I want to, again, I'm going to run through some of these and then let you comment. The answer is we need to have a biblical balanced response to this, to this drawback, to these lies, to the triggers. And so, um, like I say, I'm just going to run through these um, really quickly and let you jump in, Lynn. So here's, here's some of the things that are key. First, being drawn back is natural, expected, and not necessarily bad. It's not bad to be drawn back to something because we're human and there are needs that are there to be met. And so that's not, the drawing back itself isn't a sin. Just like temptation is never a sin. It's giving into temptation. Everybody is, Jesus was tempted and tried even as we are, yet he was without sin. So there are good aspects to LDS culture, but they are not unique to LDS culture. In other words, anything good that you had in the LDS system, you can find outside the LDS system. They do not have a corner on community and family and all those things. And that's the lie they want you to believe. They want you to believe that it can all only be found here with us. We need to distinguish between needs and desires. There's a lot of things that we desire that we really don't need. What we need is Christ and relationship with him first and foremost. And then the LDS church and performance-based religions set themselves up as both the standard for feeling secure and significant and as the judge for how well you are doing. And this is an incredibly insidious trap because first they tell you, this is what you need to measure up. And then they decide whether you're measuring up or not. So at any point, they can bring you back into dependence simply by saying, brother, sister, you're not measuring up. We've got a problem here. And it fosters a very codependent, unhealthy relationship. Um, And and your progression in that faith and your callings and your respect are all based on the way they see you. Yeah. So, So if you've been a mission president and you have done what your leaders told you to do and you're a good soldier 
and they determine that you're a good soldier, then you're likely to advance in the system, right? Right. Yeah. 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 We must choose to believe with God that we are never truly isolated, insecure, insignificant, or incompetent. If you are a child of God, that is never your identity. You may feel it, but in Christ, it's impossible to be those things because of what he's provided because of the supernatural life. So we may feel it, but it's never true that we're isolated. God's always with us. Um, and then finally, if we are trying to meet a need by going back to the LDS church or our performance-based religion, then we need to repent of turning to a God substitute. The first one, when you're talking about being drawn back is not necessarily bad. This is the way I see it now that I'm in Christ. Being drawn back, I think for some people means you want control back. Oh, Because yeah. when you give your life to Jesus, it's not your life. It's his life. It's not your works. It's his works. Very wow. frightening to them to release that control to God because the God they knew was not faithful. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the God who's real has good things in store for you, has a plan for your life, knows where you need to live, knows what people need to come into your life, knows what things need to be healed from your past. Yeah. And all of that's frightening to give up that control, I think. When you talked about distinguishing between needs and desires, I'm going to talk about strongholds. I okay. think that every lie that I learned in Mormonism set up what the Bible calls a stronghold yeah. that had to be broken. And in my relationship with God, he did not break all of those legs overnight in a moment. Yeah. He did them one by one by one so that I would fully understand what was wrong with this and fully understand how I needed to go forward in a different way in okay. that particular topic and then move to a new topic and a new topic. And so um, there's a neuroscientist called Dr. Caroline Leaf, L-E-A-F. Okay. She's a Christian neuroscientist. And she talks about when you believe something, it actually builds dendrites in your brain. It builds a path in your, your brain. Mm -hmm. Well, every one of the lies, I think, from Mormonism set up these pathways in my brain. And Dr. Leaf says that if you want new learning to take place or those pathways to be broken, it's going to take at least 27 repetitions in another direction. Wow. So not only did 27. I just, <laughs> she says that's a minimum. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to not smoke, there have to be 27 times where you don't pick up that cigarette so that your brain can rewire. And that's what the Bible did for me. It, it says in the New Testament, the Bible, you get washed by the water of the word, that yes. your mind is renewed by the word. So when I couldn't tell if there was a pre-existence or not, or whether that was a lie from Mormonism, I went into the Bible to see what the Bible said about that. And then I had to rewire that. And yeah. so those strongholds for Mormons take a long time to deal with. And so a Christian who's trying to mentor a Mormon and help them through this transition process, it's going 
might take months, it might take years. It takes a long time and you have to have the patience and the relational love to walk with these people. Yeah. And, and the key is to not have the expectation that people are gonna pull off life perfectly. And so we extend grace, we extend encouragement, we encourage them to point themselves in the right direction. Um, but there's and that. replace it with something positive, right? right. It's yes. not like you don't have that need. You have that need and it needs to be met, but it needs to be met in a more healthy way. And the yes. Bible did that for me. It told me how to meet those needs in a healthy way. Yeah. And it's the it's the story, parable, whatever it was of Jesus, of the man of, who had a demon and the demon got cast out. And it just says yeah. the man went about his way. And sometime later, the demon came Seven. back to check and said, oh, look at the place is all swept out and clean. There's nothing else inside. And he came back with seven more worse. And the man's second condition was worse than his first because he hadn't replaced yes. that. So yeah, it's incredibly important truth. principle. So, hey, it's been a great episode. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you all of you who are part of our Unveiling Grace podcast family of listeners. We're delighted to have you. Let me give you encouragement if you're in this transition. It's the transition itself can be difficult, but when you get to the other side and the lies get replaced with truth, there is a peace and a boldness and a calm and an assurance that you'll have in your life that you will never have outside of Christ. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Thank you, Lynn. And you've lived it. You've you're you're our, you are exhibit A for what God can do to transform a life and then release you into incredible dreams and incredible ministry. So It's his work. Yep. Amen. And we're along for the ride. <laughs> Grace and peace to all. Until, Until next, next time. time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out. And for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, we'll send it to you. It's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the Micah's Book button to get yours. We appreciate your support of the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.